0: So today, this morning, we're pulling out of the stand Solomon, David's son, who wrote a whole book on how to raise godly children. and so we're going to be talking to our father, our parents, but father specifically, through the eyes of Solomon this morning. All right, so grab your Bible and everybody say this after me. I thank you, Father, that your word has the power to change my life. Today I give heed to it. I allow it to go into my ears, and then into my mind, and then into my spirit. I am a hearer of the word, and a doer of the word, and I will never be the same after today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, here is our theme verse for this series, and it begins with the word, therefore, because the the previous chapter... Chapter 11 is what many people affectionately call the Hall of Fame of Faith, where the Bible gives us a list of ordinary people who God did extraordinary things through just because they chose to believe things that they couldn't understand at the time. And so it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and that's a cool thought too, that those people didn't just live great lives, but they're actually in heaven watching us live our lives now. And so that means if they're watching, then it's a good chance that your loved ones might be watching you as well. That's pretty cool. It says that th- there is such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles so that we can run a race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So, in other words, we are still in this race taking lap after lap and this life race it can be difficult sometimes and that's why it's important that we look back at our heroes of the faith and see what would they tell us and so there are people in the stands saying listen you can make it you can do it And so we're pulling those people out of the stands and getting their advice. What would they tell us? And so the first week, Noah, he told us that one person can make a difference. And then the second week, Naomi and Ruth told us that the worst thing that happens while following God is even better than the best thing that the world has to offer. And then we looked at Isaiah the prophet who said that when life doesn't make any sense, he said there is a voice that is with you that's telling you, hey, this is the way, that you can hear God's voice. And then last week, Mary told us that the baby in her womb, Jesus, was not just a clump of cells, but he was an actual person who already had a calling and a purpose even before he was born. And so uh, you can access any of those recordings on our website or mobile app or, or Uh, YouTube page. But last week with Mary, we had a specific action to help, to reach out and help young women and families who wanted to keep their babies. And so if you're interested in helping with Human Coalition that we are partnering with, then you can do that on our website. If you go to events, there's a place there that you can get more information. Also, if you weren't here and you didn't get to sign the petition to tell our lawmakers that the child inside the womb does have a purpose and does have a calling, then you are welcome to do that at the side tables directly after the service as well. But I want to let you know that if you're interested in that message on Mary and the sanctity of life, uh, you can get that on our website, mobile app, or our YouTube page as well. But I wanted to tell you that that, if you weren't here, that was not a political message. It was deeply theological and scientific about when personhood begins in the womb. But it was not political. So I want to encourage you, if you weren't here, you can go back and check that out as well. And so today... We are pulling out of the stands Solomon, David's son. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Ruth. This is Ruth's great, great grandson. And so Solomon is going to talk with us today about fatherhood. Mark Twain said that when he was a boy of 14, he said, My father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand being in the same room with the old man. But then he said, When I turned 21, I was astonished at how much that old man had learned in seven years. It's a funny thing that the older that we get, we start to understand and learning to appreciate the wisdom that our parents were trying to give us. And so today is Father's Day, and I also understand that for some people, that's not a good day. They hear the word Father's Day, and because maybe your father has passed away, or you were never able to be a father, or maybe you're a father and you have a strained or a severed relationship with your child, or maybe because of the bad upbringing you had from your father, a tense relationship that you might have, uh, you, you might cringe. And so on one hand, that, that's understandable if you, if you had a strained relationship with him or, or if he was an alcoholic or if he was a harsh uh, man who made you feel like you, would, you could never measure up. Father's Day can be difficult. And so if you don't have fond memories, then it, it can be hard. I talked with one, one girl years ago who had been abused by her father for years. And so she said that Father's Day was the worst day of the year for her and so i acknowledge that today can be painful for some of us and uh, also if you're an empty nester or you don't have children to raise anymore or you uh, or you but you do have grandkids maybe or maybe not listen, if, if you're not in a position of fatherhood right now yet or or anymore, grab some nuggets that you, you can share with other people. We have plenty of people in our congregation that need those nuggets from you. So don't tune out. And then also mothers uh, or women that are here, you're going you're gonna to learn a lot too because a lot of this, what we're going to teach fathers applies on both sides as well. And so uh, so we're going to be talking to parents in general, but we're going to talk to fathers in particular today. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is a, are basically instructions for life. That's what that means. And so 47 times in the book of Proverbs, the word son or sons appear. And then another 16 times, the word child or children appears. And so you see, Proverbs is not a book of philosophy or a book for philosophers to ponder over. It is a simple book for parents to practice its good, practical wisdom, that's, and it's given in Proverbs. It's interesting that it's an Old Testament book, but even though it's an Old Testament book, New Testament Christians love this book. It's one of the most read books by Christian believers in the world. It was written by Solomon as we said and Solomon was an amazing man on a number of levels one of the things that we know is that he was a man of wisdom God tells us that he gave Solomon more wisdom than any of the other leaders in the Middle East he had more wisdom and understanding the scripture says than all of the sand of the seashore that's a lot of wisdom and so, what did he do with all that wisdom? Well, he wrote books. He wrote 3,000 Proverbs. 3,000 Proverbs and 100, and, or I'm sorry, 1,005 Psalms. And so, uh, it, it's, it is the instruction of the father to the sons. And so, and if you read this, if you're familiar with it at, at all, you can say, well, if it was instructions from dad to his sons, why was it written, written in all this flowery l- language? It's like, what dad talks to his son like this? Like, hearken unto me, son. Who does that? Well, it's written in Hebrew poetry. It's a, it's a beautiful form, but here's why. To make it Memorable. See, truth has no value unless you can remember it. And one of the great truths about the truth found in Proverbs is that it's put in these little concise uh, nuggets in proverb form. Like little nuggets that you can commit to memory and then you can store it in your brain. And at the right time, you can call it back. So this then is the father's instruction. It's a father's instruction manual to the children that, that Solomon wrote to his boys, And so one of the, listen, also the Psalms, not all of them are from David. One of them, Solomon wrote a Psalm uh, that's in Psalms. And so that is Psalms 127. And it says, children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Not the fruit of the loom, but the fruit of the womb. That was my dad joke. And so... Uh, it, what that means is that children are God's best gifts. I like it. Somebody said that, and I like that a lot. And so dads, listen, you borrow your children. You don't own them. They belong to God. You can't keep them. They are his. And, and so he entrusted them to you in, so that you could rear them and raise them. But those children that you have are not put there to, put, to give you fulfillment, but you are here to help them fulfill the plan of God in their lives. And I want to speak to you out of Proverbs as well. And so there are two verses in chapter 3 that I want to read. And that's uh, verse 11 and 12. And it says, My dad, do not... Despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects just as a father, the son, in whom he delights. And so in these two verses are three of Solomon's secrets to being a great father. And we want to share that with you. And so today you're going to get a multi-tool as you walk out. Uh, you're going to get one of these. And this is a multi-tool. It's, it does many different things at the same time. It's not just a pen, but if you open it up, there's a screwdriver in there. It is also a ruler and a level in it. And so, uh, in the same way, we as fathers have to be multi-tools. And so today, we're going to talk about those three different facets of fatherhood passed down to us from Solomon. So, I'll look at it this way. Since children are the only earthly things that we can take with us to heaven, it behooves us to do it right. Is that right? Yeah. So, I think that the first secret that Solomon would give us is to instruct your children. And so, I want to look at this this text. We're going to unpack it a little bit. But if you don't mind, we're going to go back to verse 1 of chapter 3, and it begins with two words. My son... And it's because Solomon, as a father, is pulling out instructions or pouring out instructions to his son. And he says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. That's his instruction. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you, but bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man." And then we go down to chapter 4 in verse 1, and it says, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. You know that section in the book of Ephesians where it's all about family roles in chapter 5 and I think 6? And it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. And then it's followed by instructions for wives and children. And so then, listen very carefully, all of that is followed by this. Watch this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So I'm wondering, so why doesn't Paul write mothers and fathers or parents? No, he's writing to fathers specifically here, and he says, bring them up. Now, that doesn't mean sit back and just watch them grow. No, it means be engaged. Move them toward maturity is what that phrase, bring them up, means. Nourish them. Well, how? Well, he gives us two different ways here. In the training, and then it says in the admonition of the Lord. Training is instruction, and admonition is like really intense training or instruction. It's like in your face. Your dad ever get in your face? <laughs> that's, and sometimes us dads, we need to do that uh, to bring them up in the training and the admonition. It's very, that's a ad, very intense version. And so what was interesting is I made an interesting instruction is that in Hebrew, the word for parent is harim. And harim is the Hebrew word that means parent. And so you can ask any kid in Israel, hey, those are my harim or my parents. Then the word for teacher in Hebrew is maray. And so what's fascinating about this is harim, the word for parent, and maray, the word for teacher, have the same exact root word. At the very root, they both mean the exact same thing. And why is that? It's very simple. That a parent is the first teacher in a child's life. And see here, it says fathers, bring them up. Now, in Hebrew homes in antiquity... The education of the children was primarily done in the first three years by the mother. And that's not hard to figure out why. I mean, she nurtures the child from a a baby, breastfeeds the child, and then that child uh, for three years is trained by the mom. And then at age three, the child is said to have been weaned. And so after that third year, the father now steps in and takes a role of instructor. If it's a son, then it's the father's job to teach his son a trade so that he can work with his hands, as well as teaching that son the laws of God, the Torah. To love the scripture and to memorize the scripture and to apply the scripture, that's the dad's duty. And so it's the daughter, if it's a, if it's a daughter, then the mother will train that daughter in the domestic duties of the time. And so, but listen to these words by, by Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he's speaking to the men of the, of the, of the nation at this point, And he says this, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. So there's a note there that, first of all, it has to be in your heart. Because, see, you can teach what you know, dads, but you will reproduce who you are. It's a wonderful and scary thing all at the same time. And it says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you raise up. In other words, the training of children should be a natural and normal part of everyday life. You get up in the morning, you have breakfast, you do what you do, getting ready, and you include in that training of your children. So instruction. So fathers, it says bring them up. This is a father's instruction. Simply put, disciple your kids to follow Christ. Show them what it means to be a Christian man or woman. I love Charles Spurgeon's quote. He said, if you've never had headaches through rebuking your children, then you'll have plenty of heartaches when they grow up. Is that true, dads? Dads, share the gospel with your kids. They are not too young. Show them what it is to live a life pleasing to God in a world that doesn't want them to live a life pleasing to God. And so listen to this sad confession of a father after raising his children. He looked back and he said, I took my children to school, but not to church. I taught them to drink, but not the living water. I enrolled them in Little League but not Sunday school. I'd showed them how to fish but not to be fishers of men. And I made the Lord's Day a holiday rather than a holy day. You see, a father is simply a partner with God in making disciples of his children. Think about that. God wants your children to follow him and to believe in him and to love him. And so he has put us fathers in their lives to show them how we partner with God in making disciples of our children. And the first and foundational part is instruction that informs and it equips them. And so the second secret that I think Solomon would tell us that we pull from the scriptures is that fathers, we should correct our children. See, correction is what adjusts behavior and thought patterns and strengthens the life that's in a child. And in fact, that's really the the trust of this whole passage is it says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Do not detest his correction, for who the Lord loves he corrects, just as a father, the son, and who he delights. So the point that Solomon is making here is that correction is what uh, what C.S. Lewis would refer to as a severe mercy. See, it's proof that a father loves his child, not hates his child. It's that correction that is part of the proof, the demonstration that he really cares. In fact, C.S. Lewis also talked about correction and he gave this amazing illustration. And so he says, an artist doesn't take a whole lot of time in drawing a picture that he would use just to entertain a child. And so, you know, you would just throw something together and say, here you go. And so the child will like it and they'll appreciate it. But that same artist will spend an endless effort and amount of time and painstaking energy over a great work of art that he loves and he wants to display and be proud of. And so listen, love your kids enough to put the time into correcting them and changing their thought processes and behaviors. And I know if you step into discipline your child, you know, a lot of times they'll say, you don't love me. And they see that correction as a proof that you don't love them. But let me say this. What your child thinks of you as five is no comparison to what they're going to think of you when they're 25 if you don't correct them. And I guarantee you that if you are consistent with your correction in love, then then what they say when they're 25 will be much different than what they say when they're five. And so, you know, once they have all these years and this instruction that's poured into them, there's no telling what they can become. It's proof that you love them. Like if you go to a doctor with a broken arm or a leg, that doctor is actually going to correct and set that leg and it might hurt a little bit. If you go to an optometrist for glasses, they're going to give you what's called corrective lenses so that you can see better. Proverbs let's look at Proverbs 13:24. It says, "He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him discipline, disciplines him promptly." Also, Proverbs 19:18 says, "Chase your son while there's hope, and do not be set do not set your heart on his death." Now listen, this is not teaching brutality or slapping your kids whenever you don't feel good. <laughs> Proverbs are teaching loving correction to adjust, the, uh, the adjust their thinking when there's time. Listen, you don't show love by overlooking disobedience. And listen, I know what it's like to have to, to have to correct in love and at the same time realize that this might affect my relationship with my child for a period of time. But I'm here to tell you that it's always worth it. Because they're going to look back from the other side and say, Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mom. As long as that correction is in love, consistent, based upon parameters that you've already set, not just your mood that day. Listen, if you want to mess up your relationship with your kids for a long time, correct them out of your mood and not out of clear boundaries that you've already set. Is this true? Yeah. So, I was reading an article uh, Tom Landry, the, the great football coach, was talking about what it was like to be a coach and what it was like to win game after game after game. And so he said this. He said the job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to or make chin, uh, don't want to do. Hang on. Getting tongue time. <laughs> to make men do what they don't want to do to achieve what they always wanted to be. And see, that's really good. I don't think that's just for coaches. I think that's for dads as well, and moms, to be honest. But that is, that is the job of a dad. And see, it's the correction that you add to a child's life that gets them to a place where they can achieve what they've always wanted to be. Or better yet, what God wants them to be. And so I understand some people don't believe in discipline. It's not popular anymore to discipline your child. But let me state for the record that I think that a lack of discipline can actually emotionally cripple a child for life. There's, there, um, there are actually two sociologists from Harvard that studied this at length. And they, and they wrote a little bit on the factors that prevented juvenile delinquency. And there are several factors, and I'm just going to give you the top two. The top two factors that prevent juvenile delinquency. Number one is a father's firm, fair, and consistent discipline. Notice the words firm, fair, and consistent. And then number two is a mother's supervision and companionship. So let me say... That There are two different types of discipline though. There's corrective discipline and then there's preventative discipline as well. Corrective discipline is simply consequences because they have broken a rule or a boundary that you have set. And, that, and also that has been set previously. You're not making it up as you go along. Now I have read and I've heard a lot, uh, um, a lot of the anti-discipline experts saying that it's counterproductive and that it will it has anti-social effects, and so this literature is very popular. But I found something very interesting in the U.S. News and World Report that says that these expert that after looking at at their findings, they have based them on a body of research that at best is inconclusive and at worst, badly flawed. They had an agenda somewhere. And so it goes on to say that studies indicate that, that discipline will make children le- less likely to fight with other people and more likely to obey their parents. So let me add to that for just a second. This type of corrective discipline has to be done in a very timely manner early in life. Notice it says, do it while there's hope. Listen, you don't begin later on in life, later years. Listen, if you don't discipline them in the early years, you're going to have a huge fight on your hands once they get to be teenagers. The first, statistics say that the first three years are the most formative of a child's life. And everything else after that is either them using those three formative years or you trying to reprogram those formative years which is incredibly difficult no we we f- shape them in the early formative years when they're when they're shapeable and so but there's also there's also preventative discipline And so any doctor knows that you also have, you have both in medicine, right? You have, sometimes it's not corrective medicines, but there are preventative measures that you can take so that corrective medications are not needed, but they're both used together a lot of times. So what is preventative discipline? Playing with a child, praying with a child, but also undivided attention, See, undivided attention is key. When a child says to you, hey, come here, Daddy, look at this. And so when they do that, they're inviting you into their world. And they're saying, hey, I want you to be part of what I'm doing right now. I want your attention. Come do this with me. So maybe you walk into the room and you bend down and maybe they have a ball. And they say, watch this. And they roll it to you and they say, "Wee!" And it's, it's the coolest thing. And so you roll it back and wee And so it's fun. But what you're doing is you're giving them a gift of undivided attention. You're telling them, you are the most attention, or you're the most important thing in my life right now. And this happens with teenagers as well, although it's very, very less frequent as they grow older, as they become more independent, they open that door into their world less and less. It's not that they hate you. It's not that there's anything wrong. It's just that they, you have smaller windows. And let me say this too, that when a teenager invites you into their world, be looking for it, A, as they get older, you be looking for it. But then also when they invite you into their world and they and begin to talk with you about certain things... There is a time for that corrective discipline, but it's not when they open up that window. Okay? So even... Now, I'm not saying you don't do it. You may do it later. They may have done something just mind-numbingly stupid a moment before, but then when they open that door... And don't let it... Teenagers, is not a manipulation trick because they'll get you later on once it's over because I'm telling them. But when they open that door, it's okay to just... All right, so they open that window nurture them be there be attentive but don't forget about dealing with the corrective discipline just don't do it when they open that window i've seen parents all the time that they think that open window is a time when now we can teach them something don't do that okay that's that that window is very infrequent but and so when they and here's another thing is that when they open that window make sure that you're giving them full attention okay so even so maybe while you're playing with your child and you get bored and you start pulling out your phone and looking at things and but you're still rolling the ball with them right after all you can multitask right now what we're doing is we're giving them a message that you are not the most important thing right now to me other things are more important or equally important but when we give them undivided attention that is an amazing gift and it's preventative discipline or correction now listen, I don't go off the rails when it comes to phones and all that. I was in a restaurant one time, and so there was a father with, the, with his daughter at one table, and there was another father with his son at another table. And so they're right across from each other, and so I'm in line, and the father with his son, they're both on their phones, and they're looking at the phones, they're not talking to each other, just separately. The father with his daughter, he has a newspaper, and she's reading a book. And so this lady in line, she points at me, she pokes me, and she points at the father and the son with their phones and says, see, look, we can't even have conversations anymore. So we're all on our cell phones. It's so sad. And so I gently pointed, or I kind of pointed at this other situation that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years, is people reading in the same room but not necessarily talking. And so I kind of said, yeah, that little girl should definitely stop reading. Well, it made that lady really mad. but, (laughs) But... but listen, we gotta use our common sense. Don't go off the rails on phones and all that stuff. But what listen, what I am saying is that we need to make sure that we're giving our children undivided attention when they invite us into their world. Okay? All right. There's a report that I found and 1,000 teenagers were interviewed. And it said that 53% of teenagers spend less than 30 minutes a day with their fathers on average. 25% of them never discuss their daily activities with their families. 42% received no words of praise from their parents within a 24-hour period. 50% received no hug, no kiss. And 54% did not hear the words, I love you, from a parent in that 24-hour period. All of those things would have been preventative correction. And so both are needed. A father's instruction that informs and, and equips, and then also a father's correction that adjusts and strengthens. Okay? So now, the third secret that I think Solomon would give us is that we need to affirm our children. We need to be affectionate with our children. See, affection assures a child. It brings stability and calms a child. That child is aware that love will always be there. And notice the, one of the words in verse 12 earlier. It says, in whom he loves, he corrects. A father in, in his son, in whom he delights. See, I like that word delights. Because all of the translations that I looked at, they all use the same word delight. I like that. But the Hebrew word is ratzah. And it means to enjoy or to approve or to favor. But most translations use this word delight. And I like that word as well. And so instruction informs, correction adjusts, but affection stabilizes. See, a father's love is central to the emotional well-being of a child. And so you might say, well, Micah, you know, you say a father's love. You mean a mother's love, right? No, I said a father's love. A father's love is central to the emotional stability of a child. And so in an analysis of over 100 studies of parent-child relationships, it was found that having a loving and nurturing father was as important for a child's happiness and well-being, social and academic success, as having a loving and nurturing mother. In fact, I'm sorry ladies, some studies indicated that even a stronger contributor to a child's well-being was the father's affirmation and love. And so this brings me to a question. Why is so much laid on us dads as a Bible? Or in the Bible? Why does so much get put on dad for instruction and correction and affirmation and affection and all these things? And let me answer this in three different ways. Number one, A child's view of God is formed by their father. That child, when they become a believer, they're going to learn the Lord's Prayer. And it starts with, our Father, who art in heaven. They're going to read the words of Jesus, where he says, where he talks about his Father will feed you, will take care of you. All that language talks about the Father. Well, the only Father that that child knows is their earthly Father. Listen, for good or bad, absent or present, that's the only thing that they have to refer to. And so this name father that's pushed onto God, listen, there could be floods of memories about our earthly fathers that come to mind. And so their mindset, many of ours, either, even still, our mindsets about fathers may have to be adjusted. But listen, there's only one perfect parent, and that's God. And a child's view of a father is formed by their earthly father though. So we have to do the best that we can. The second reason is that, listen, your daughter is gonna grow up and marry a man someday and she needs to know what to look for. Dads, listen, you provide the model for her to know what to look for. And girls will often choose, even sometimes subconsciously will choose mates that are very similar to their earthly father. Now that could be a good thing or a bad thing, but it's true. The third reason is that your son is gonna grow up and marry a, a woman. And he, and he needs to know what kind of man he needs to be. What does a real man look like? You're setting that standard for your son. In the Huffington Post, there was a whole article on raising kids. And, uh, but there was one sentence that really stood out to me. And it said, Boys look to their fathers for approval in everything that they do. While girls look to their fathers uh, or look to men uh, the patterns that are set by their fathers. And so I look at it this way, dads, it's easier to repair a boy than it is to repair a man. And it's much easier to prepare a girl than it is to repair a woman. Listen, we've all met people with broken lives, many of us have them, and many times because of our upbringings. But a hundred years from now, it's not going to matter what cool car you're going to drive or what tools you have or how much money you have in the bank what clothes you're wearing but a hundred years from now you could make a huge difference the world could be a better place a different place because of the children that are under your care and that they have received instruction and that 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 we have delighted in affection and shaped their lives that we are a multi-tool of strength that betters this world for the glory of God Amen. Will you stay with me? And let's pray. God, I just thank you for the simplicity of the word that you have given us. And I just thank you so much that fathers here today, God, that there is, that there is inspiration for us to be better fathers or to encourage other people that are around us. God, that there is no condemnation, that there is no guilt for the past for any of us in the things that we have done or not done in the lives of our children. And Holy Spirit, I just thank you for a God moment right now where you can heal hearts, that you can heal wounds that were maybe created by our fathers or maybe some of us are hurting because of some of the mistakes that we've made as fathers. God, I thank you that you do a work on the inside of us, that each and every one of us, that we hear your Holy Spirit teaching and directing and loving us just like you expect for us to do to our children. So listen, fathers or or not, if you're here and maybe you're not a believer and you haven't made a decision to follow Christ and the fa- Heavenly Father is not your father yet. Listen, God is drawing people into the kingdom of God right now. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. Because of sin in, in our lives, all of us are separating from God, but Jesus came and paid the price for our sin, our sin with his death on the cross so that we could... Be free to serve Him. Be free to have Him as our Father. That we could spend eternity with Him. And so what we need to do this morning is, what you need to do is make a decision to follow Christ today. And you can do that right there where you're standing. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand signifying that you would like to pray a prayer with me right there where you are repenting for your sins and acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of your life today starting today and asking the Holy Spirit to come in and to empower you to be the Christian that the Bible promises you you can be Listen, your life could be so much different if God is at the center of your life and the, and the heavenly Father is your Father. So if everybody would close your eyes and bow your head with nobody looking around, I just, maybe you have never made the decision to follow Christ or maybe you used to follow Him, you used to serve Him, and, but you have fallen away from him. And if you went into eternity today, God forbid, you're not sure what would happen to you. Something's coming, come between you and God. Today is your day to come back to your Father. It's your day to make a decision to follow Christ. And you can pray this prayer with me right there where you're at. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed. Those of you that want to pray this prayer with me, I just want you to raise your hand real high, right there where you're standing. Just put your hand in the air right now. I see that hand. Who else? I see that hand. Don't leave here without Jesus. I'm proud of you, ladies. Who else? Who else? That God the Father would be your daddy. That he would be your father a good, good father. Amen. We have several people in the room this morning that are going to have a new father. Very proud of you. Very proud of you so we're going to say a prayer with you right there where you're at and so we want you to we we want you to pray this prayer with us we're all going to pray with you together because you're about to become our brothers and sisters in christ and so let's all bow our heads and pray this prayer together heavenly father thank you that you sent your son jesus to die on the cross for me jesus i thank you that you willingly came And you paid the price for my sin sin. with your death on the cross cross. so that I could be free to serve you, free to to spend eternity with you, you. and free to fulfill my destiny in you. I repent for my sins sins. and I say that starting today, Jesus, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, come and live on the inside of me now and empower me to be the Christian that the Bible promises me I can be. As I come to church and I get involved in church life along with my relationship with you my life will never be the same. In Jesus name, amen. Let's give a hand to all those that made decisions to follow Christ.